0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hello and welcome to Zero Ducks Given, the cricket podcast, which hopefully doesn't disappoint as much as the series finale of a certain popular British television drama program this week. Although, I mean, if we do get 12 million listeners, I don't care if it's rubbish or not. I'll take the 12 million to be honest. And we are recording this episode on the 4th of May. So if you have come for stats and tactical analysis on cricket, I would suggest this isn't the podcast you are looking for. Apparently that's like a a star wars reference or something finny i I don't know sal wrote it but apparently that's a star wars thing
2: losers anyway aren't
1: they yeah a bunch of dweebs mate bunch of dweebs bunch of virgins and losers um so that is the voice of Stephen finn and the reason you're not hearing daniel norcross's voice just yet is because he is running late uh man of the people that he is he's stuck on public transport and he promises He'll be with us about five or ten minutes late. So uh, good old Daniel Norcross. You can always trust him. Uh, Before we get into cricket, Finney, we forgot to mention last week, your beloved Watford have been promoted back to the Premier League. And I wanted to ask you, actually, because being a football fan is really tricky with cricket at the start of the season because it means that you miss a lot of games. I'm forever begging my captain to have a bowl or a bat, depending on what suits the Liverpool kickoff time better. I'm guessing a lot of the guys in the dressing room are big football fans. Do you guys sneakily get your phone out, watch the game when it's on? What do you do?
2: No. Well, Liverpool will be Thursday nights next year, won't they? So you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, you'll
1: be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, won't need to be a cricket at all.
2: <laughs> the, um, But it, yeah, we, everyone's aware of it. But unfortunately for us, cricket is our job. So therefore, whilst we're playing cricket, we're we concentrating. Your phones aren't allowed out in the dressing room and stuff. So yeah I think there have been instances in the past where someone's flicked the uh flicked the football on and this is years ago but flick the football on and then all of a sudden the coach comes in and says get that fucking football off the tv and concentrate on the cricket that's going on so um so yeah that seems to be the running order for us in the dressing room at the moment and and you can have a sneaky notification on your phone um and and have the odd look but um you couldn't be engrossed in it.
1: Is it genuinely they, they take your phones off you in the dressing room Were you allowed to have your phones, you're just not allowed to take the piss, basically?
2: Well, for a TV game, for games that are on TV, you're not allowed your phone for anti-corruption purposes. So you have to put your phone into a box the second you walk into the dressing room and then you get it when you walk out the dressing room at seven o'clock or half past seven at night. But in county cricket, where the games are just streamed, you're allowed your phone, but as a team, we don't... You're not allowed to just be walking around on your phone in the dressing room. That's,
1: I uh... never knew that you had to hand your phone in and put it in a box. I absolutely never knew that. Um, and as we're discussing this, Daniel Norcross has joined us on the call. Now, Daniel, I, I don't want to be unkind here, but you look like shit. Yeah, well, <laughs>
3: do you know how windy it is out there?
1: Look at the state Thank of your... God! <laughs> Where have you been... What have you been doing? I mean if I could describe Daniel Norcross, you know, who normally oozes class and sophistication, he's he looks like the professor from back to the future at the moment. He's got hair all over the place. He looks
3: like been, Brown. Yes. Yeah, he okay. looks, like,
1: looks like he's been drinking for about a week and he's rolled out of a hedge in, in a very friendly, endearing way, of course.
3: It's been a bit more than a week, but yeah, I, I went to I went to Barnes to see Eleanor oldroyd BBC's Eleanor oldroyd which uh, you're all familiar with star of uh, Prince Philip's Funeral on the radio, and Adam Collins, who has been commentating on the Middlesex feed. Middlesex, oh, Carlo, yeah. Yeah, Colo. Colo is going to be at the helm of a very exciting broadcast. I'm sure we'll talk about the IPL if you haven't already. But with the IPL, IPL going down, Middlesex's match on Thursday is going to be, the live stream is going to be shown on Sky. County Championship cricket. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, live on Sky. And uh, so I was there and I was in Barnes and I left in plenty of time and I haven't used public transport for a year, pretty much. And I'd forgotten just how much I hated. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you know, the numbers, we're cricket men, aren't we? So we take numbers seriously. So when a number says something like, you know, seventeen fifteen, you want it to like mean that's the time the train's going to come. Well, half an hour later, it eventually did. So uh, I'm with you late, and I'm very sorry about that. And well, um, always yeah. and worth I love the a lovely afternoon, though. Always Landers. worth
1: the wait, Daniel. Um, do you know, my, my dad, who has, uh, you know, he's been on a few trains in his time for, for Channel 5, <laughs> he, he went to Japan, where if you add up the total delays of every single train in Japan over the course of a year, it's less than two minutes. And then when he finished filming that very episode, back from Japan, he landed, he had to land in Manchester for some reason, and get the train from Manchester to London and that train was delayed by 3 minutes and that is if you want a british rail uh, summed up was that in one train he'd already uh, he'd already beaten the entire year of Japan
3: say what you like about soviet russia and people have got very strong opinions but i went there once in 1987 <laughs> and what i loved about their trains was that they didn't tell you what time they're going to arrive they they set it basically had a countdown clock from 60 to 0 because every train arrived within a minute so <laughs> You went there and it was 60 down to zero. And if the train didn't arrive in that time, the driver presumably was sent to a Gulag. And that's how I would like to see... The 21st century
1: system. UK <laughs> South, <laughs> South Rail will be run that all all leg drivers go to a gulag. I, mean, I, yeah. I don't think you'll get much, uh, much <laughs> comeback on that apart from probably from, from the drivers themselves. Well, oh, maybe, maybe,
3: well, maybe the management should go to the gulag, the driver can stay there. I'm a very open minded man, but someone's going to pay for this. So <laughs> someone's,
1: they... <laughs> someone's going to a gulag, certainly. Uh, well, you're just in time, Daniel. You may want to leave the call immediately. You're just in time for us to discuss. Stephen Finn's 5 for Middlesex over the weekend. Uh, Finney, I mean, we said it a couple of weeks ago. Finney for England. There's a new selection process. Ed Smith's gone. I don't know if Ed Smith was a pal of yours, but it doesn't matter. He's gone now. Uh, Selection process is open. Now, here's the question, Finney. Now, being honest, do you know your exact county championship stats
2: after two games? I, I know how many wickets I've taken, but I wouldn't know... The numbers, no.
1: Okay. Daniel Norcross, how many wickets do you think Finney's taken in two games so far?
3: He's taken well, he took seven in the last one, didn't he? And I think he took didn't he? He took five and was it not five and two? Was it five and three? Is it five and three? Uh five and one. Okay. So I'm going with uh eight. Oh, he's done
1: you a huge disservice. Yeah, he's done me dirty there, Norcross. <laughs> Fuck me. Is it, is,
3: it, is it up to nine now?
1: <laughs> are, you, are you guessing his runs? Because uh, keep going down from there. And oh, well. Bad, but yeah, we'll get into his batting in a sec. I could tell you that Stephen Finn, hashtag Finney for England, has taken 12 wickets. <gasps> an average of 22.16, might I add, as well. Okay,
3: what's his, what's his runs per over, though? Because that's the thing that's bedeviled Finney's career, right? It doesn't matter.
1: Still, it still is. <laughs> He's a strike bowler. He's a it's, strike bowler.
3: It does not matter in modern cricket if you take 12 wickets at 22. But if you go at over 2.8 and over, coaches will hate you for it. Far rather you went at 2.4 and over and went an average of 40. That is, I have no idea why they want to keep people out in the field for that length of time. No. But it does seem to be the way that coaches want to go these you days. You
1: need your strike bowlers, you know. It'd be boring if everyone was built the same. Finney's economy is 3.89, but, you know, it's early in the season. He'll get that back. He'll get that back, you know. Um, Finney, genuinely, five wickets. Was it a good fifer? I thought I looked, you took three of the top order, but a genuine good fifer?
2: It wasn't my finest fifer. What did I get? A court behind. The first one was a court behind. The second one was a court short mid-wicket. Which
3: oh what lot, what was that lot, on the pads like half volley just not
2: conventional it was full and straight and he just shanked it to midwicket Tom Abel he was he was looking good as well actually at the time yeah, um, good player who else was there the third one was I think Steve Davies caught point hitting one out of a foothold to, to point <laughs> um, the fourth one was. Was it? No, it was caught fine leg. I just bowled a ball on a bloke's hip, Josh Davies' hip, and the boundary was so short to fine leg that uh, an inside edge carried all the way to fine leg and got caught there.
3: You've got to find that inside edge, Finny. You've got yeah, to you've find got, it. Got no, That's true. Field, and you've go. got
2: a bowl with the pace for it to carry to fine leg as well, yes, is what I, what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last one was Jack Leach caught short leg.
3: Actually, look, you succeed, You succeeded where Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood and Lyon all failed.
2: I know, I know. And then I got him exactly the same way in the second innings as night watchman.
3: <laughs> so what was it? Into the, into, is it into the ribs? Is that how you bolted? It was, yeah, it was armpit. Armpit, yeah.
2: armpit and he literally just spliced it up to short leg yeah i don't know what the aussies were doing
3: i always thought that might be the way to get him out i don't know why uh, that the idea to
2: get well he uh, looks perfect 10. on on the front foot yeah. it's like bowling to a barn door you can't get through
3: why would you bowl a full ball at a number 10 just just get it especially well,
2: yeah. a spin well, baller and, yeah someone who can't bounce you back so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly yeah uh, well well
1: done mate i was very pleased and uh the the hashtag Finney for england Gathers more pace and gathers more momentum. Now, we did talk a few weeks ago, Finny, about the fact that um, I uh, am the proud owner of a percentage of uh, Woodstock Cricket Company and now proud owner of 5% of Stephen Finn as well. And ever since you've joined Woodstock, mate, not a great advert for the bats at the moment. Uh, I mean, uh, was it
2: a two-ball hey, the pads and are bird- good. The pads <laughs> are good. I've got no bruises on my shin from when I've been here. That's absolutely great. I've not hit a six yet, which is disturbing um, because, especially with the short boundary this week, I was like, well, it's at least two or three of the six count being ticked off this week at Somerset. Didn't happen. Yeah, it's it's not been an ideal start to my Woodstock cricket career with the bat, but, you know, there's time. I'm still getting my eye in for the summer.
3: There's I time. did score a
2: handy, did score a handy thirteen a couple of weeks ago against Hampshire, which you know got left stranded on my way to fifty. So yeah, I think I think <laughs> there's still time yet.
3: It's off about forty nine balls. Can you just stop playing yourself in? Because I really don't. I think it's you know in terms of value in your innings, I think you're placing you're setting too much store by getting in.
2: Well, the, I think... the problem is the times where I've batted, they've not been instances where I can go in and play shots. So I played, all round, I played all round a straight one in the first innings of this game against Somerset because I was trying to flick it to square leg to get the point. <laughs> I went in with four balls remaining of the 110 overs and we needed one run to get a point. So I was there thinking, I just need to get bat on this, hit it to square leg where there's a gap and I will get one easy and then everyone will be happy and then I can have a slog. And I was eyeing that up to have a proper slog then actually. Oh, um, but... That didn't happen. Yeah, but the other um, week
3: you were being absolutely thrashed and you stood no chance of winning...
2: And well, no, but yeah, but
3: balls.
2: yeah, but no, I, I blocked out an hour. But imagine, no. imagine getting out—you look like Shannon Gabriel getting out slogging <laughs> the last ball of the uh, the innings. Yeah, seem a very weak way to get out, and I'm not willing to do that for Explaining my team. To you your may teammates. do that, yeah, you may do that on the south of the river at Surrey, but we've got fight and guts at Middlesex.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: we'll
3: come back to that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I would love you walking out back into the change room to the management and your teammates going. Sorry, I put this bet on this podcast that I'm doing, but uh yeah, sorry, lads, Sorry, to let you down there. Uh, we're well bowled anyway, Finney, and we won't dwell on the Middlesex result. Just a minor blip, minor blip. Uh, we'll talk about, uh where do we want to go? Do we want Why to go, to Surrey? Sorry. go sorry to Surrey? Let's go to Come on then. So um, I want to talk about this. So Surrey absolutely spanked Hampshire by an innings of 289 runs. Keymar Roach. Keymar Roach. I always think the West Indian cricket board played a blinder with him because... What they did was they never really played him in white ball cricket so that he didn't end up getting picked up by a load of franchises and basically leaving and going to play a load of white ball cricket. They just stuck him in the test team and didn't let him bowl in or else. And he's such a good bowler. They need to do this more often with players. Just don't let them see a white ball because otherwise they'll probably be quite good and then they'll get snapped up by all the IPL and they won't play any test cricket. Eight for 40 in the second innings, Keemar Roach, 10 for 80 in the match. And then 560 for seven declared. Now, Ollie Pope, once again, looking world-class with 131, which is good to see him scoring runs after a, a tricky winter as well. But Hashim Amlet, now, this is, I mean, the most, you know, badass move I've ever seen, really. Scored 215, not out. And then overnight, just went, oh, I've got a bit of a sore neck. I'm probably just going to call that a day there. So he basically had the perfect game. He fielded for a few hours on the first day and then batted for hours and then saved his average by uh, retiring hurt on 215. I mean, that's sorry, top order when you see it on paper. It should be scoring a stupid amount of runs, shouldn't it, Dan?
3: Oh, it's not just seeing it on paper, baby. It's seeing it in the flesh. I was at the Oval and I watched the dripping class and beauty as they tore apart tabletop in Hampshire. They gave them no chance whatsoever, using the tricky, weird, wobbly stylings of Jordan Clark early on day one to destroy Hampshire, bowled them out for 92. They were 37 for none, 44 for two, 44 for two, yes, and then 44 for six. It was staggering. That was all Jordan Clark, And then Amler and Pope. What a thing of beauty it is. I mean, obviously, they could bat with an incredible freedom because (laughs) Hampshire would be bowled out for 92. So there's a degree of you know, uh, pressure that goes off. But they didn't, they didn't go berserk. They just pushed the gaps. It's really annoying. I mean, I've talked to Joe Root about uh, playing against Ollie Pope. And his method is simply to find the gap between your fielders. And it drives you mad as a captain and as a bowler. And that's when he's at his best. He ended up with an average at the Oval of 105. Only two players in history have played more than 10 innings at the Oval an average over 105. They are Donald Bradman and Zahir Abbas. That's a weird one, Zahir Abbas, but, you know, a very fine player. Yeah. Amla, what a way to play a game of cricket. Turn up, freezing cold, stand at mid on. Hat on, double jumper. Suddenly, you're off the field by two o'clock in the afternoon on day one. There's a moderate opening part. Should be bats at three, don't forget. That lasts for about 45 minutes and then you just go out and bat. And then you wake up in the morning and say, ah oh, sorry, sorry, mad I, I I know the 250, I don't think I can move today, you know, that my, my head, my neck. Uh, is it okay if I just like um take the day off and then watch his teammates bowl outside in freezing cold weather? Because it has been freezing. So we need to oh, talk about this, It has been the, the coldest start to championship I can ever remember, and it just keeps going. And he walks out of there with 250, not out, having done next to nothing else. Perfect game of cricket. Speaking as a very bad batter, that's how I used to do it. I remember captain for a season, winning the toss. I'd score 45, get myself out so I didn't have to buy a jug, bat with a runner for at least 35 of those runs, and then get someone to field for me. That That is how you, that is how you play cricket. Hashim Amlet, he is our god, our hero.
1: I mean, he's one of the greatest batsmen of uh, of all time. He, he he really is. You must have bowled at him uh, a bit, Finny.
3: Unbelievable. The player, hours isn't. on end, I reckon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. He um, was always one of the prize wickets when we were playing against South Africa. You'd always say we have to get Hashim Amla out because he can be so dangerous. So, yeah. I mean. I can just ask him if you want. He's in my pocket a few times. I mean, <laughs> it, it, a, yeah, pop, a, pop my head in there and see what he's up to. But
3: well, you <laughs> yeah. guys you guys worked him out a little bit, didn't you? There was a period when actually England had the wood over him. Wasn't it bowling it was really all,
1: wide to him and getting him to flail at it? LB,
3: it was LBW. Yeah, you know, uh, was it? Thudding on the pads and when Finney can get an LBW, that tells because he's a tall man. Yeah. Always going over the top of stumps. Don't know why everyone doesn't leave every ball that you bowled. <laughs>
1: yeah. Dickie Bird <laughs> never would have given that LBW. I'll tell you that much for Finney, for Finney bowling. um, genuine. I don't know if I've asked you this on the pod, Finney, who is the best batsman you've bowled at? Has there been anyone you've bowled at where you're like, I feel like I could bowl at this guy for five days and I'm never going to get him out.
2: Um, I found Shane Watson really, really hard to bowl at because he just picked up, he picked up your length so quickly. So It must have been something about the way I released the ball or something. But if it was full, he'd just climb into it and biff it down the ground, just straight of mid on. And then if it was short, he'd either cut it or pull it. Uh, It was just as simple as that. There was nothing in between. It was just a big drive or a cut or a pull. So yeah, of all the great players that I bowled at, I bowled at Pontin, Coley, Tendulkar, Smith, all of them. Like the, The guy that I legitimately found the hardest to bowl at was Shane Watson.
1: It's a bit like boxing, isn't it? With their styles make fights in boxing. So there's trickier opponents for different fighters because it's, it's like, I remember James Anderson, he said, Ian Bell in the nets. He goes, I reckon Ian Bell averages about 500 against me. Cause I never get him out in the nets. And Kevin Peterson said, uh, Muhammad Asif just found him absolutely unplayable. Couldn't get near him. And you know, that Ian Bell and Muhammad Asif are wonderful cricketers, but, you expect Kevin Peterson to say Shane Warne and you expect James Anderson to say Sachin Tendulkar. But I think there's just certain styles of players really aren't suited to certain players. And Shane Watson was obviously the perfect the perfect batsman to, to bat against you, Philly.
3: Is it something to do with your height? I mean, I know it sounds a bit trite, but you can imagine Shane Watson always seemed to have trouble against slingier bowlers, lower bowlers, where you couldn't quite judge a length. Someone like Jimmy Anderson, whereas... You, if he if can judge length really quickly against a tall bowler, maybe that tall bowlers will get always going to find it harder against him. Is there something about that? Because you must,
2: yeah, but- yeah, definitely. I think his size matters as well. He's quite, um, he's a big fella, he, he's a big, imposing bloke, both like big shoulders and tall in height. So his ability to smother a good length from me was big. And then you try and drag your length back a little bit. And he's so hot on the short ball, he's then there waiting for it. So, yeah, um, I found him incredibly tricky to bowl at when I bowled at him.
1: Uh, I'm glad I asked that question because you kind of, uh, you expect to hear sort of a a huge name. And Shane Watson was certainly a great player. But like you say, obviously just the perfect batsman for, for your style of bowling. Now, talking about styles, we need to talk about the best wicket that was taken in the county championship over the weekend. So, Kent were absolutely stuffed within two days by Glamorgan. But a man we've already talked about plenty on this podcast. Darren Stevens took another for another Michelle five for him. He turned 45 during the game and he took the wicket of the third-ranked batsman in the world, the absolute run machine that is Marnus Labuschagne. Now, if you've seen the delivery, it is the plummest of all LBWs. Marnus Labuschagne walks off as soon as the ball hits him. I mean... Darren Stevens, at 45 years old, has got no right getting out minus Shane It is, um cricket is a surprising leveller, that no matter how good a batsman is, any bowler can bowl that ball that's just the perfect delivery at the perfect time. Um, I'm trying to think of great, and Daniel Norcross, you'll be wonderful for this. The great sort of crap bowlers getting good batsmen, because I remember Michael Vaughan getting Tendulkar, and I remember Ricky Ponting getting Michael Vaughan in 05 at Old Trafford as well. Alistair Cook got somebody burgled down the leg side pretending to be Bob Willis. Are there any great famous upsets of crap bowlers at when you can think of, Daniel?
3: Michael Atherton's only test wicket is not only, perhaps, or is it his only? I think it is his only, is Wazzy Akram.
1: That's not a bad one, is it?
3: It's not. It's not a bad one. Look, I, I think there's something in this. So I heard the Surrey boys talk. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Sorry, boys talking last year about the way to play darren stevens uh, is reverse, reverse the order, reverse order. yeah that's it. And, and i do think that there is a real problem that a really top quality player like mine and this makes me sound like i'm having a go at darren stevens not at all but manas labashane is setting himself but not that delivery he doesn't he doesn't see that delivery in australia you don't get that delivery because the pitches don't work like that as well so Steve-O has just basically done yet another top-order batter. And I think Kent used him brilliantly, because actually, I do think that a number six, number seven, I reckon Adam Rossington could take Steve-O apart. But I think Labashain will really struggle, because they're they're not triggered for it. They're not ready for it it's in that weird pace as well 68 miles an hour who the hell bowls at that i mean you know what is that what is that pace in, in professional cricket in our cricket 68 is lovely it's coming onto the bat ooh we like we, we like the quick bowler the bowls at 68
1: yeah it's perfect yeah for a
3: pro it's a bloody nightmare
1: yeah and he's and he's been away playing for australia all over the world against you know some of the best fast bowling in the world he's genuinely not seen He's not seen the likes of Darren Stevens in April, end of May, in Well, actually,
3: Toby, most of the first division hadn't when Steve-O went back up, because he applied his trade at Leicester, not as a bowler. And then he started bowling about at Kent, and Kent were a yo-yo side. So when they went into the first division, there was always, oh, I don't know if if Steve-O will be able to hack it at that level. And the likes of, you know, Phil Salt who are waiting for an 82-mile-per-hour ball they can whack to the boundary of the front foot over long off. Don't know what to do with this bastard Dibbly Dobbler at 68. <laughs> so actually, it worked it, like a charm.
1: It is uh, it is the bane of my life. We've talked about it a bit on the podcast with Finney watching Tim Murta coming and bowling the nets. But you go steaming in, trying to, trying to, you know, arms and legs flailing everywhere and running in and getting all knackered. And then you, every single Saturday, you watch some bloke on the oppo who just bowls... Within himself and and takes about five wickets every single week. What about not that Darren Stevens is an embarrassing wicket by any stretch of the imagination because uh, he, he he takes he takes wickets for fun. But is there we talked about your Adam Live moment, Finney. Are there any other part timers you've got out to where you're going? Oh, I don't want to give this guy the satisfaction of getting out to him. Or mates, do you ever bat against mates in games? No, they, they like, I, bring I'd on, like they to bring get out
3: Dennis Lilly when Steve comes in. That's, that's the awful thing about being number 10, isn't it? They go, oye, oye, who's the overseas pro bowls at 92? Come on. Yeah, the, there, there is a bit of that. There is a bit of that. Can you
1: could you remember any particularly embarrassing ways of getting out?
2: I mean, yeah, I get hit on the front pad a lot um, and the boys give me some stick for that. But in professional cricket, nothing springs to mind. It's always weird when you play against your mates, whether you're bowling at them or batting against them, because you can't help but look at each other and giggle sometimes. Yeah. And I think this is just incredibly strange. But the I played club cricket last summer for Hampstead Cricket Club. And um, the first time I went out to bat, I think the team was in a bit of trouble. We were about 80 for seven or something like that. 80 for six, I think I batted at number eight. And, um, and the coach comes walking out to the middle with me because that's just what happens in club cricket. The coach comes <laughs> walking out to the middle to give the non-striker a, a drink. And he's like, right, you just, you just bat through for 20 overs here. And I was sat there thinking, fucking 20 overs, mate. I haven't batted 20 overs for about <laughs> 15 years. Um, or no, since, since I saved the test match in Dunedin um, with my <laughs> test there. 50. I, I mean, yeah. I don't like talking about it, but happy to again if you want to. Um, but the, um, yeah, he walked out to the middle with me and, and it was a Middlesex over 50s bowler, bowling, off spinner, bowling these moon ball things that I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. And yeah, first ball, I went back and across to try and run him down to third man just for one and got an outside edge and, and had to walk straight off the pitch and, and had to go and sit next to the coach and, and got berated by the coach of Hampstead Cricket Club for, um, for getting out first ball when I should have been the sensible batsman to bat through for 20 overs. So that was pretty embarrassing.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Only 19.5 overs left. Don't worry. I've taken, I've taken one, one of that total that you needed from me. Uh, Well, let's move on. But uh, the other last final thing I want to mention is that the zero-ducks-given curse. So, And it's pretty much my curse. I've I've really got to bear this cross on my own here. Since we started this podcast, I said Chris Morris was the most overrated cricketer in world cricket, and he went for a world record £1.6 million in the IPL, and he said a really, really good IPL. I said that Kieran Pollard just gets signed up because he once did something quite good, and he hit six sixes. Uh, And then last week, we waxed lyrical about Hasib Hamid and the return of Hasib Hamid. And then he got out for a four-ball duck in the first innings. And I thought, what have I done? However, he did get 94 in the second inning. So I'm glad that we didn't ruin Hasib Hamid. He's already missed five years of his career. I don't want to be responsible for another five at all.
3: No, I I don't think that's a curse, though. I think you can get away with that. But... I do think we do need to have a little bit of a nod to some unbelievable county cricket that took place without going into it in any great depth. One run win for yes, Yorkshire. And one of the most exciting things about that, if you are so much of a nerd as I am, that you found yourself toggling through county cricket commentaries and went, oh, that game's exciting. And I tuned in to BBC Yorkshire, BBC Leeds, and, and I got this really thrilling ninth cricket partnership. And then Kerrigan got out. They needed 14 runs to win, and then it started raining. It was just so cricket; it was unbelievable. We were like <laughs> on the fourth day, 14 to win. Kerrigan gets out in bad light. Then it ends up with a one-run, one-run loss. The Leicestershire Gloucestershire game was extraordinary. Mm. I mean, there have been some amazing games of cricket in this round. Of the, well, throughout the county championship. I of should, should mention
0: as
1: and well Parnell in that one wicket. Parnell, who. I mean, it's the hope yeah. that kills you, isn't it? isn't it? There are sometimes when you lose a tight game, you're like, oh, I wish we just lost two hours ago and been put out of our misery. Ten wickets for him, 30 33 runs before he finally, finally fell on his sword.
3: It was a, bre- it's a Brett Lee moment. It was. It was, a, it was. it was a Brett Lee, Edgebaston moment. And you saw them shaking hands at the end and you knew they had been through the same agonies mm. as those guys at Edgebaston 05. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch, you know?
1: you must have had some one wicket, one run wins, defeats, Finney? Is, is there, and I'm sorry to to bring back cruel memories, but uh, is there a particular one-wicket or a one-run defeat in any format, Finney, that 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 stung? Whether it was the manner in which you lost it or the way you threw a game away or the importance of the game, was there anything in particular that you were like, oh, this this, this sucks?
2: No, not that I can think of. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there have been along the way, but nothing springs to mind. But the most like... Nerve wracking one was the uh ashes test at Nottingham Shear at Trent Bridge in 2013. When I think we won by was it nine runs or 13 runs, something like that, in the end.
3: Brad had an inside edge and it was, and it was done, on a, done on a DRS and it was on the, the review, tiniest, yeah. Tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little hotspot, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and the technology was still quite new then, so I remember like losing my mind over a DRS decision making such a, such a yeah. crucial decision.
2: Yeah, it was huge. And that that was as nerve-wracking as I've been on a cricket pitch. But a catch came to me at deep square leg with I don't know, 20 runs to win. They someone swept or had in swept Graham Swan, top edge, and I came sprinting in and it went straight through my hands for one bounce four. Um <laughs> like full strength dive forward um and didn't get a hand on it. It went straight through for four. Uh, And yeah, I remember just thinking I'm lying here. I would just love, I'd fucking love this ground to swallow me up here and just disappear (laughs) down a crevice and not come back. But then Jimmy Bolt, it was like an off cutter and got the inside edge. And yeah, there's a great photo of us all when that little snicko came up on the, um, on the screen that, that was one of the most elated feelings i felt on a cricket pitch. It was amazing.
1: It's that perfect combination of just relief and, and ecstasy as well. And I won't go into this here, but on the VAR thing in football, my argument to football fans is if the technology can get right, they will go, oh, it's ruined the game. You can't celebrate a goal. And I said, I think the technology's added to atmosphere in, in cricket because if you get take a wicket, you get to celebrate twice. And if you get a wicket overturned, you get to celebrate a wicket that you never would have been able to before. So I think it actually adds more <laughs> celebrations to the game. I'm a big fan of the celebrations in cricket. Uh, sorry, so
3: just, Dan, you were going to say. I just want to ask one question about, about that game. Because in that game, Ashton Agar was clearly out in the first yeah. innings.
2: He fucked uh, my test career for a little while, actually, with that decision.
3: Right. <laughs> we'll come into it. Let's, yeah. let's, let's have more of that. But essentially, just the background, he got 98 or... Or something like that, lots of people were very upset that he didn't manage to get 100 on his debut batting low down the order. I thought that he'd burgled the last 75 runs because he was clearly outstumped. As that game goes by, we pundits and fans obsess about that decision. Do you let that go? So, like in that moment on that last day when it was getting tighter and tighter, were you actually going? yeah, it shouldn't be like this because bloody Ashton Agar got away with 75 runs so we would be winning this bloody comfortably. Or, no, or-
2: I mean, afterwards you walk off the field. So when you're out there, you're just immersed in what's going on and the situation that you're in. And that's I think one of the abilities of good sportsmen is to be able to focus your mind on what is actually happening in the present moment as opposed to what's happened before. I mean, you can get caught up sometimes naturally in thinking about what's gone before, but in that situation, you're so intensely concentrating on what's happening. You're not. But when you walk into the dressing room afterwards and you sit there and you think, Jesus, that could have been a lot, lot easier had the third umpire not had a stinker and given him not out. Because it was just it was one of the most obvious out decisions I've ever seen from a stumping. Um but then so consequently from a selfish point of view, that was the last test match I played for two years. And I'd, I had good figures up until that point in the innings because I'd bowled all right. Uh, and then Brad Haddon at that stage decided to just have a slog against me and hit me all over the place and, and ruin my figures and made it look worse than it was. Um, and because of that, I got dropped for the next test match and then didn't play for two years. So, so um,
3: who was the third umpire?
2: Murray Erasmus.
3: Maria Erasmus, let's like you are, He's always been a wrong right, guy. Let's one. get
2: him on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> he's it. actually a lovely, lovely man. <laughs> he seems delightful. I've got he to is, say, yeah, he's a wonderful he, man. He is a lovely man. But he made a shit decision that day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: whatever happens, you know, we're all big fans of Murray Erasmus. Well, that's the fine margins of sport, isn't it? It was your sliding doors moment and that drop it, that drop it wherever you were, deep square leg or whatever, that's your Simon Jones moment. But luckily, in both instances, an England win against Australia in the Ashes. Now, uh, let's move on to the IPL. I mentioned it in passing there. Uh, Chris Morris won't be putting on overrated performances anymore because the IPL has been indefinitely suspended. So we discussed this last week, and we kind of agreed there was no right or wrong answer because there was pros and cons to both, if you like. However, we did kind of agree last week that it's very different if COVID gets into the IPL bubble and into the IPL camps. And it did happen this week, and it's been indefinitely suspended at the moment we are purely speculating by the time you listed this podcast in a couple of days time a final decision might have been made it feels very unlikely that this tournament can continue and it's going to be a logistical nightmare getting players safely back to their home which will be the priority if it does get cancelled uh daniel norcross coming to you quickly first of all um the correct decision i i assume you'll agree and and also can you see this tournament going ahead in any way
3: It was a correct decision. It had to be done. Uh, Five deadly groundsmen, three CSK staff, um, two players in KKR, others come out at Amit Mishra today. There are legitimate concerns about the validity of those tests, but that only makes it an impossible bubble to manage. It's all very well saying, well, they're, they're false positives, but you can't then run a bubble of trust if you can't trust the technology that you're using. So they've had to. They've had to suspend it. Initially, the idea was preposterously because don't forget there's a lot of money riding on this, huge amounts of cash uh, pays in, that goes in to the BCCI coffers, that floods back down into cricket, it's important that the IPL happens, however much we all you know, don't think about it in those terms. So they're always going to try and their initial attempt was to go to Mumbai because there are three venues in Mumbai, two very strong ones and one other possibility, and try to kind of squeeze concertina, if you like, the remaining 31 games into 16, 17, 18 days or so in Mumbai. But the overseas players and the local Indian players, don't forget MS Dhoni's parents, have succumbed to COVID as well. So there are an awful lot of people who are touched by this, but the overseas players, especially the Australians, led by the Australians, really didn't want to go on. And I can't say as I blame them, to be honest. Then the idea of when does it happen? So, okay, let me run you through a couple of options. Or there's really actually only one option in my view. You try to get these remaining 31 games to happen in the UAE after the England-India series ends on the 14th of September. So they fly out to the UAE. They'll probably have to do a week to 10 days there. You've got a T20 World Cup scheduled to happen in the middle of October in India. Can't see that happening. What I can see is them trying to make the last half of the IPL happen in the UAE, then go straight into a T20 in the UAE. The UAE has been on standby for the world T20. That, at the moment, looks the most likely possibility. But we've got to, I think, forget about the IPL happening. It can't happen in India in May and June. Certainly not July. By this stage, it's now butting up against so much other stuff. It becomes impossible. You can't really play the IPL in the UAE in June. It's 45 degrees. You know, it is dangerously hot. That is, it's a desert country. Can't be done. So, I think we're looking at September. I think that's the only way it can continue. The question you've got to ask is, is the amount of money so much that cricket is getting that makes it justifiable even to try. We're going to have issues, I think, with the English season. I don't think we should be certain that the New Zealand Test against England will happen at precisely the dates they're going to happen. I don't think the World Test Championship that India have to play now, they're a red list country, so the players, when they come in, have to quarantine for 10 days. The idea had initially been they'd come in, play the World Test Championship, go back to India for a few weeks, then come back for a Test Series. Is that feasible when you're quarantining for 10 days each time you come in and do that? So we may feel, we may see actual changes to our schedule this year. If we don't, well, I mean, fair play, but I don't know how that'll work. And I think we're going to have to see schedule changes at the back end of the season. So the effect of this IPL, people can scorn and they can mock and they can say, well, you know, I'm a cricket fan, whatever. And it shouldn't have this amount of influence on world cricket, but it does. And this, this is the reality. So Mm. we've got to get with the reality. And if you've got tickets for various test matches, just keep a good eye on what's going on because scheduling may change.
1: Well, I mean, this is a hypothetical discussion at the moment, but uh, you know, there's been debates for years now about players picking and choosing, playing in the IPL over playing for their County, playing for their country and stuff. Um, There will be uproar, I'm sure, if England's schedule this summer is affected at all by the completion of the IPL. And that is a potential absolute shitstorm in the future that may may or may not happen. So we can't dwell on it too much. But um, certainly if England's test schedule starts getting changed to accommodate for the IPL, that will be a a huge, huge watershed moment. Finney, you've got mates in that camp. First of all, um, I guess you, you completely understand the the tournament being called off have you spoken to like sam billings or anything any any chat with him about what's going on
2: not no no i haven't actually to be honest um i spoke to oh morgan the other day um but that was before um the, all of the latest round of stuff has happened so i'm sure i'll be in contact in the next few days to see how they're getting on and what their plans are and stuff um, and hoping that they're safe and all the guys over there are safe and yeah not uh haven't actually had any conversations with anyone yet about it since, uh, since all this news is broken.
3: Can I just say
1: yeah,
2: go that, for it.
3: that, I mean, this is how much of a hypocrite I am because I genuinely thought all those thoughts that Philly just said and simultaneously I also thought, I reckon this means that Tom and Sam Curran might be back for the derby. Surrey-Middlesex revenge derby against yeah. the North London Lodgers on the 20th of May. At the Oval, if they can get out of India in the next three days, we're gonna we're gonna take some mighty revenge, my friend.
2: Yeah, You've got get... no chance of them playing. The ECB is stopping them playing for workload reasons. You've got no hope. <laughs>
1: <for them. laughs> you can dream. You can dream. I hope that uh, and everybody. At Zero ducks given hopes that uh, everybody gets home safely, and uh, it feels like common sense has prevailed as well. Like you say, if ugh, the schedule is very tricky, England begin their test series with New Zealand in four weeks. By the way, as an aside, so bloody excited about that. I can't wait for a bit of test cricket in this country. So if the players that are playing in the IPL, the Kiwis, go back to New Zealand, they have to do 14 days quarantining there. Then they have to fly to England where they'll have to quarantine for at least five days. Uh, It's going to be very, very complicated the whole thing. Basically, over the next few months, there's going to be lots of cricketers on flights going all over the globe. If you look up at any flight, any plane you see outside your window, there's a chance there's a niche cricketer being flown from some test series to some <laughs> franchise cricket somewhere in the world. Shaquib Alassane's probably on this one going outside <laughs> <window> right now.
3: <laughs> well, but if you're an England fan, if you, and a lot of our listeners are, look, Josh Butler's almost certainly going to be back. Sam Curry's going to be back. Chris Wokes is going to be back. I mean, fitting Finney into that England team is getting harder and harder. The IPL was keeping him in the frame. They're suddenly, suddenly all flying back to take your, to take your place, Finney. And um, I don't know what to say about it, except I'm sorry.
1: Look, Finney's a specialist now. Finney's the hundred specialist, mate. Don't you worry, that's his franchise.
2: Correct. they're the people I
1: love and care about most, yeah. <laughs> Until I get a huge IPL contract. Uh, well chaps, lovely to see you both. Finney well bold, uh, but batting wise, mate, get that left leg out of the way and put it into Rose Ed. There's no fear. Pull my finger out. Yeah, if you could yeah, sort out please. you're embarrassing the Woodstock brand at the moment if it's is- <laughs>
2: do you know what I've got some New Balance sticks in the back of my car I'll pull those out next week and use those as two fingers to Woodstock (laughs)
1: the only thing thing that matters is your leg pads at the moment pal
3: (laughs) I love this what you've turned into Barry Hearn
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Daniel lovely to see you Uh, try and be on time in the future I'm so sorry it's unbelievable Uh, Finny I hope to see your name on the team sheet hashtag Finny for England let's get it trending if you've listened to this podcast this week please just tweet saying hashtag Finney for England. Let's get it churning. Let's put some pressure on whoever the hell is picking the England team nowadays. Daniel, lovely to see you chaps.
3: Cheers.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.